All right, everybody, welcome into Sideline Spectator, episode 11. I'm your host, Jake Smith, along with my co-host, Sam Kell. Uh, follow us on Twitter, JakeSmith1844, at SamWeezy2, and then our main account, at Side underscore Spectator. Uh, look, uh, who we are, we, we don't do nerdy stats, even though I did throw out a nerdy stat last episode, but, you know, it's my podcast, so I don't care. Uh, you know, we, we actually watch the games and we form a conclusion uh, to what we actually see because stats can be skewed in any way that you want to paint them. Uh, also, subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. On this episode, we're going to run through some news around the league then get into two interviews. We have Michael Jasper will be our first interview. He is a former Buffalo Bill, former Tennessee Titan, and former Carolina Panther. Uh, and New York Giant. Giant. Uh, He was drafted by the Bills back in 2011. So we're going to get we're going to talk to Jasper about what what to expect from the Bills for the Bills Titans matchup. And then we also have on Chad Withrow. Chad Withrow is has been a part of the number one radio station in Tennessee, number one sports radio station in Tennessee for 17 years. He's now with uh outkick uh which is the company that clay travis owns uh so very uh interested and a great interview with chad and and with jasper and chad's going to give us the the titans view of everything uh for this game leading forward and also uh he's going to touch on little college football with the tennessee volunteers uh sam all right let's get into it real quick uh, Sean Taylor is getting his number retired. He'll be the third player for the Washington football team to get his number retired. Uh, my question is, holy cow, why did this take so long? I don't know, man. It's just, it's Washington. I mean, what, what do they do right, honestly? So I have a little conspiracy. Uh, so with all the Daniel Snyder stuff, the Daniel Snyder stuff, like we said last episode, it's been going on for for you know, a little over a year with the investigations, all the allegations of sexual harassment in the workplace, all the cheerleader stuff, and now we understand that John Gruden has been involved in in that as well, as well as Bruce Allen. Uh, is this? I feel like we're going to get more news out of out of this uh, whole sexual, you know, allegation, uh, racist comments, and all these emails. I think we're going to get more of it this weekend. I want to say that there's no way that like all this stuff with Gruden and Schneider and Allen like come out and then a week later it's like uh let's have an impromptu jersey ceremony you know retirement for Sean Taylor I think there's something fishy that you know they're kind of trying to cover up distract yep yep I agree I uh I think there's more people going down Gruden is a casualty uh there's and McVay, Matt LaFleur, they're on that they're correlated with that or they're uh associated Shanahan with that too. Shanahan. They're associated with that. So I mean Good for Sean Taylor. What a an electric football player. Oh, Obviously we were we were pretty young, but I mean I can vividly remember him. Let's move into our Meyer Minute. Uh everybody, this is gonna be a new segment that we're gonna do every single week. And the Meyer Minute, as you can probably guess, it's going to be a little quick hit on what Urban Meyer has done this week. So we were we're going to start doing it on our Wednesday episodes, but we ran out of time, and honestly, I forgot to do it last episode. So uh, here's the Friday version. 
Uh, so after their game this past Sunday, Urban Meyer afterwards, you know, reporter asked him, why did you have, you know, Carlos Hyde down there uh, when you were on the one yard line, fourth and one, you know, fourth and goal. Why didn't you have Robinson in there? He responds and says, I don't micromanage who is in the game. Sam, what is he talking about? Like, you're the head coach. You're supposed to micro. Like, that's your job. What are you talking about? I'll give – I would love to bash on Urban Meyer, but I will say head coaching-wise, I can understand his answer just from the fact that Carlos Hyde shouldn't have been in there anyways. Robinson should have been there, first of all. Let me go ahead and get that out there. But, I mean, I, I don't know what – there's no telling what he's thinking. I just – you would think that you have scenarios – and one situations, fourth and one situations, you have a, normally the big back, which Kyle, Carlos Hyde would be the big power back, I guess. Uh, it probably, how they're doing things in Jacksonville, it probably isn't his choice, honestly. He, that's probably not on his plate of responsibilities. He's got enough on his plate probably already without deciding who's in on what play. But at the end of the day, you probably need to run your best guy on fourth and one or fourth and whatever if you're going to run it. And it starts at the top. So, if he's a good coach, he holds his offensive coordinator accountable, and it doesn't happen again. If he's a bad coach, it happens again. So I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens. My thing on it is that it's a fourth down situation, right? Which yep. is a call from the head coach. As yep. in, like, third down, Urban Meyer is probably already telling the OC, hey, we're, we're going to go for it on fourth down if we don't get it right here. That yep. That's just how that's just how coaches operate. And it just – to not even like think, oh, my best player isn't even in the game right now. Like, I, I, I don't know that that's a head coach's job to chime in on third down. Hey, if we aren't, if, if we don't get it right here, we're going for it. And then also along with that, you probably should be thinking, I probably want to have James Robinson in on this situation. So yeah. then a reporter asked him on Monday, the following day, in the uh, press conference, Urban Meyer says we are desperate for a win. Not great. Not a great thing that you want your head coach coach to say. Trevor Lawrence, I, I like how the the Jaguars media people kind of kind of played this because they asked Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence the exact same question. So Urban mm -hmm. Meyer says we're desperate for a win. Lawrence gets asked the same question and he says. You can't get desperate in the NFL. And it's just like, did does Trevor is right. not? Trevor's 100%. right. 100%. Yeah. But is it like, did he hear that like Urban said that before him? And like everybody obviously is against Urban Meyer. Uh, you know, we saw the one, two, three grind thing earlier this, this past week. I mean, is it one of those things where Lawrence was like, yeah, I'm just going to say the opposite of what this guy says? Yeah, I don't think Trevor would do that. And I understand <laughs> – you pro you don't say that I don't think if you're the head coach you probably you are desperate for a win the whole t you want it for the guys want it for yourself the organization so you are desperate like so Trevor is kind of BS in saying you can't get desperate in the NFL because that's that's almost kind of BS but you you don't I wouldn't come out and say say that because I I just wouldn't but so I mean, going back to the fourth and goal thing a reporter on Monday asked Urban Meyer. Why not QB sneak right there? Trevor Lawrence, big guy. You know, yep. he, he known in college for, for his ability to throw and, and run. Yep. Ran a lot of RPO stuff at Clemson. Um, obviously, he was never under center. But 
reporter asked him, you know, why not why not quarterback sneak? And and he he did say that we pra- we we do practice the quarterback sneak, but he said, I know it sounds silly, but he's never done it. So he isn't quite comfortable with it. So he's speaking. He said he isn't quite comfortable with it. So he is like basically speaking on behalf of Trevor Lawrence. Reporter asked Trevor Lawrence the same question. Whoever these media people are in Jacksonville are. They want chaos. They want chaos. Fantastic. Uh, So they asked Lawrence the same thing. Are you comfortable with doing a quarterback sneak just like on the fourth and goal situation? He says, just simply. Yeah, I'm comfortable with it. <laughs> like, like, and he he went on. I watched the I watched the press conference. He goes on to say, like, yeah, we practice we we practice that. He did say that he's never done it like a true quarterback sneak, like he never did it in college or anything like yeah. that. So I get that. But if you practice it, and like you're in a situation to run it, you you have to run it. Like, what is yeah. Urban Meyer thinking? One, you could probably quarterback sneak it in, and two you have your best player on the sideline during that play. I don't know. Just obviously everybody's not on the same page or the players are doing it to spite, you know, Urban Meyer and and what, you know, all the stuff that's came out about him. But all right, so let's get into our interview with Michael Jasper. All right, everybody, let's welcome on Michael Jasper, former Buffalo Bills, former Tennessee Titans, former New York Giants, and former Carolina Panthers. Do you want me to throw the Omaha Nighthawks in there Heck as a yeah, shout-out as well? I, I, yeah, I'm proud of my Nighthawks, man. That was a squad, man. Yeah, everybody, so uh, Jasper, you were, as I read on your Wikipedia page, which is very credible, uh, you were the last selected player from the NAIA uh, from Bethel University. Does that still stand currently? That is true. There's a couple NAIA guys that are representing uh, and doing really well in the National Football League, but they, they didn't get the honor of being drafted, but they are on an active roster and are balling out and representing. I, did you expect to get drafted? I mean... No doubt. It, I did not expect to get drafted, honestly. Um, if things went the way um, that I actually expected... Um, to be honest with you, I would have been blessed just to get into a training camp, which probably would have been with the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, who who had, um, had expressed a lot of interest in having me come to camp. But other than that, I thought I, I, I thought I was a shoe in to go to the Canadian Football League, and I thought I thought I was going to have to go the long route. So um, obviously, I had a great agent in Martin Fishman and Dino Cacklis, the head coach at Bethel at the time, really put together a game plan to get some of my workouts out on YouTube and. Um, kind of ticked off the bills a little bit, actually, because it, it kind of forced their hand um, when some of my workouts started getting out and other teams started getting interested. So it definitely was a, a an interesting route. But to answer your question, not at all. I did not expect to get drafted. And what 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 what, what kind of numbers were we looking at when you got drafted? I know you got drafted a lot bigger weight than what you ever played at. But like hit, hit me with like height, weight. Uh, and bench, bench press and squat, squat max. Ooh, honestly, with my workouts, we were working out with probably 620 on the squat for real. So <laughs> it was uh, it was some intense workouts because uh, Nick Stamper at Solus, it was the whole plan was like I had to get I had to be strong and, and keep my strength, but I also had to lose like darn near 100 pounds in three months. So right. it was ridiculous the training regiment. But when I actually did get drafted, I was uh, uh, I weighed in at 374. Um, the day of my, uh, the actual draft, my draft weight of my pro day with the bills was 374, uh, six, four and three quarters, 
Um, I did a, it's an interesting story on why my bench press numbers were so low, quote unquote, but I did 34, 35 reps on the bench press. Yeah. Uh, so like I said, I know Bethel's four and two this year. Y'all opened up Delta State, obviously D2. The NAI, for those that don't watch it, NAI is probably, I would say, I'm, I'm an NAI player. It's probably a step a step above D3. Some of the D3 schools can compete with the NAI, and NAI can compete with some D2 schools. It's just kind of, it's kind of like in that range. Like I said, it, would you agree with that pretty much? Like Absolutely, yeah. You know. I, Sam, I think you're spot on. I think what is, uh, what's crazy about it is it depends on what conference you're in. Yeah. And then within that conference, what division you're in. Um, so what I like to tell people, especially recruits, when we're talking about the levels of football when it comes to NAI, is that the Mid-South Conference is the SEC of NAI football. And uh, since you've actually left, Sam, we've become the largest conference oh, in yeah. college football altogether. So mm -hmm. it's three divisions spanning over 21 teams from South Florida all the way to what used to be Cincinnati, Ohio. So it's it's ridiculously yeah. it's massive uh, our scope but then the talent within our conference so um when you look at the nai versus comparing it to ncaa obviously a lot of the the northeastern d3s um that are pretty decent and over in wisconsin are yeah. probably the only d3s and then obviously you know some in texas and ohio that um that I would compare to our conference, but that's simply because we're able to scholarship more. Guys. Right. Yeah. And I think our conference is more, you know, D2, um, lower FCS level. And people don't understand that you're going to play against some of not only the best kids out of high school, because the guys just love to play football. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then you have guys like myself who, you know, through their testimony or through certain trials and tribulations end up at an NAI school. Right. And, you know, it's like, dang, where I, NCAA, I had no chance left. I'd go to NAI, and it's like, dang. And literally, it was me, Eric Wardlow, I mean, uh, Ricardo Lockett, who won a Super Bowl. I mean, yep. we were all on Bethel's campus at one time. It was just insane. Mm -hmm. Some guys, like, had all the talent in the world, and they can slip through the cracks for whatever reason. Then you got them playing NAI ball. And like I said, like, guys like yourself, Ricardo Lockett, and, I mean, I know the guy from Kentucky Christian that's in the NFL now or was, yep. I think, the big and linebacker, number nine. Yep, and then the receiver from uh, Cumberland. Oh, the, he, and, the dude uh, that he could fly. He yeah, could fly. he fast as all get out. And then another kid from, like, Southeastern, I believe, is, is still bouncing around to team yeah. team. Anyway, so I know y'all dropped one there beginning of the season, and then you got, you're three and one since then. And you beat two top ten teams. Number eight, Reinhardt, and number five, Georgetown. Yeah, uh, we did. Number six uh, was Ron, Reinhardt was number six, I believe, at the time. And okay. Then we beat Georgetown, who was number eight. And both those wins come by. Like I said, I didn't get a chance to watch these games because <laughs> I, I spend my Saturdays golfing now instead of watching Tennessee football. I love it. But uh, <laughs> uh, so walk me through. I know. I know. Reinhardt, walk me through the end of that game. I know Georgetown, did y'all not go for two to win it at the very end? We did. We did go for love, two. Love that. Okay, walk me through the Reinhardt game and then walk us through the Georgetown game. So, Reinhardt, actually, we, we kind of came out in the first half and the guys were just clicking on all cylinders and, and we dominated. And then uh, we went into halftime and, you know, um, kind of made some adjustments and came yep. back out. And I believe, you know, I think it was one of those experiences where the guys felt like we all felt like we kind of had it in the bag and we didn't keep yeah. our foot on the throttle. Yeah. Uh, so Ron Hartman and, and Coach Miller being, you know, he's a heck of a football coach, played at Virginia Tech. And I got a lot of respect for him and his guys. And they're ranked yeah. for a reason. And they're good. 
year in and year out for a reason. And they showed why in the third quarter. And it's probably the the worst 11 minutes of my coaching career. <laughs> I bet um, you sweat, sweat <laughs> like crazy. Well, yeah, well, we, we blow up a 21-point lead, um, mm-hmm. and um, they, they end up taking the lead. And But the guys stayed the course. They fought their butts off, and um, we were able to get a couple stops on defense yep. and have a – Chow Bay came down, and uh, defense came up with a big stop, and we were able to run the clock out and win that game by one point against Reinhardt, number awesome. six. Awesome. And then Georgetown, okay, you could, what what play did y'all run going for two? Y'all score at the very end and then go for two pretty much? Yep, so we <laughs> – we it's a funny story. I don't know what the – I got to watch my language on how on this podcast <laughs> and that thing goes. But uh, literally I knew – you know, it's one of those situations you kind of live for, man. And, you know, yep. as, a, as a player and then the coach to have the opportunity. And it, and it finally presented itself with something I daydreamed about for years and it was kind of like – here it is. I'm going for two. I knew I yeah. was going for two. And uh, Coach McAllister, which is a good for, good buddy of mine, he's actually a, a Cumberland alum. And, you know, I, I was he was K, uh, KCU's defensive coordinator back okay. in your day. So I um, was blessed to have him on staff. But he's kind of my situational guy. And he's a special teams coordinator for me. He walks up and he goes, what are you thinking right here? And I go, I really want to go for two. What are you thinking? And um, the PG version goes, uh, he goes, number eight team in the country. Forget them. Yeah. So you can replace that, uh, that <laughs> forget them yep. with what else he said. So, hey, uh, my guy had my back, man, at the mm-hmm. end of the day. And the kids, you know, they, they needed a little reassurance. So we called a timeout. Now, here's the deal, Sam and, and Jake. I, uh, it was a pick route, so to speak, um, double slants mm-hmm. coming from the field. Flat route. Like he tried to leak the, yeah, he tried to yeah. cut off that, that, that inside backer and leak the running back out to the flats. And the first time we ran it, the receivers wanted the ball and ran perfect slant routes. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we're going to the running back, and that, that play blew. And then the you. second time, the the, the run uh, linebacker leaked out perfect coverage on the running back. We ended up having to throw it at his feet yeah. and just get out of a bad situation. Well, uh, my uh, offensive coordinator, who's also a former Pittsburgh Steeler and Buffalo Bill, did not inform me um, that the play he chose to run – was installed uh, probably about two hours before game time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we hit JD Dixon, uh, who's been playing a heck of a, a season for us. He hit a nice little whip route, fake like he was going to set the pick, and just whipped it back around. You know, your receiver, you know that whip yeah. route concept, yeah. and headed back towards that front uh, pylon. And man, they had the uh, defensive back. Um, they had was the defensive player of the week for the nation. And that ball barely got over his fingertips, and JD Dang. was able to snag it. Kentucky after that big win after Reinhardt, and um, I got you. Kind of laid the egg, didn't show up to play ball. Yep. Then we got the big win against Georgetown. This week we got Pike. Well, next week we go to Cumberland, uh, Tennessee, in Lebanon. I got you. And then we have um, Lindsey Wilson, obviously at home. Get to see Coach Oliver and that guy's defending national champs. Yeah. After that game, we got. Uh, Thomas Moore uh, mm-hmm. for homecoming, and then Campbellsville for senior day. Oh. So, Sam, what you, what you don't know about Jasper probably, Jasper, was your defensive line coach uh, Giff Smith? Yeah. With the Bills? Good. Sam, he's currently the defensive line coach for your Los Angeles Chargers. Didn't know that. Yeah, what did, did you think know. about him as a D-line coach? I love Giff. Giff is phenomenal. Uh, funny, me and Giff are actually connected – 
through uh, another NAIA coach. He's actually now the defensive coordinator at Tennessee Tech, but uh, Donnie Suber, um, they played together at Georgia State and, and, and heck of a ball player. But anyways, Giff is a, a, a phenomenal football coach. And he was one of two of those coaches we had kind of talked before we went on the air um, about coaches and the connection that we had with the Chargers. Mm -hmm. um, and Giff made it on his stay and stuck with the Chargers. And then the offensive line coach for the Baltimore Ravens, um, Coach uh, Jody Alessandris, he was my offensive line coach when I switched over to offense, and he was also with the Chargers. Like I, said, I know you talk, you said you played with Stevie Johnson, the former Charger and stuff like that. Talk a little bit about your relationship with Sean Merriman. Cause I, we got a couple of Chargers fans that listen to this too, and like I saw I saw him comment on your Facebook post one day. I'm like, yeah. surely that's not my Sean Merriman. What's funny is, man, it sounds like a big brother to me. He was one of the vets that um. You know, my rookie year kind of took me under his wing, taught me what it was like to be a pro and um, how to learn and uh, decipher the playbook. And what was wild is he was kind of at the end of his career at the start of mine. And um, so we were on the same lineups a lot, you know, backing yeah. up, uh, you know, Kyle Williams and Marcel, uh, Marcel Darius and those guys and Chris Kelsey. And Sean actually, I mean, Sean was a star. He was a, a great pro, but every once in a while I get to get in with him. And yeah. it, was, it was probably uh, – the relationship at first, it probably kind of skeeved him out a little bit because it was like I was drooling. Like, I was like, here's one of my heroes, and yeah, I'm getting to play beside him. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, oh, I don't need the fanboy out here. We got running this rep, get the play done, you know. But um, Sean, you know, he took me under his wing, and, you know, we, we, we go out together and hang out off mm -hmm. the field and outside of work, and he's always been just a, a great guy and one of the yeah. guys I look up to, you know, even now in business as a, as a business owner now and, him being a small business owner, I've always I can reach out to him and get advice and stuff like that. He's always been there for me. I got you. Is he super intense? Because he watching him always, he seems like super like intense. Like oh I, no doubt on game day. Oh, yeah. I can tell you right now, my first game uh, was in Chicago at Soldier Field, and I'm hanging out with Sean. Obviously, like I did all through camp and when we started practicing, Nick Barnett, and I just remember like trying to get on their level and I mean before the game the intensity that those guys had in yeah. the room, it's like you know they've been playing ball for a long time like how do you stay this intense so I just remember like I better get on their level man and I made the biggest mistake of my life I I drank like some coffee mixed with you know explode back in the day and had like two vials of ginseng I was just yeah. I was geeked up well here's the deal I was a seventh round draft pick First yeah. round, I didn't know when I was getting in the game. Uh -huh. Thank God, Giff Smith sees me antsy on the sidelines and throws me in like into the first quarter or second quarter. I got to finally go, but I just remember just being so geeked up watching those guys. And like, I just I felt like I couldn't match their level of intensity yeah. and ended up taking all that crap. And we ended up getting in the game, and um, I ended up breaking through the line and got a hit on a McCown on the quarterback. He threw a pick to a uh, Aaron Williams. We ended up on the top 10. So it all awesome. worked out, man. So, That's awesome. Being drafted by the Bills, got Bills Titans coming up. So I want to ask you a couple questions about the Bills. Bills look sharp in literally all three phases of the game so far. Stellar defense. Their quarterback is my preseason favorite to win the MVP. Uh, receiving core solid. Dawson Knox is finally coming on as the tight end. What What's your three keys for the Bills uh, victory this weekend? Absolutely. I think you just hit on it, man. We've got to find a way to stop Derrick Henry. Um, 
because simple fact is our offense is, is outstanding. The, the bills are clicking. Like you said, Dawson Knox finally come. I'm a huge fan of Dawson Knox. The offensive line is doing a decent job protecting um, Singletary, who's, who's kind of an unsung hero, is doing a great job protecting the football and getting some chunk yardage um, and even receiving out of the backfield. And then obviously when, when Diggs isn't on fire, you got Emmanuel. So it's just like, yep. you know, pick your poison. And Josh, I mean, if Josh can protect the football, not take those big sacks every now and then, I mean, he's got the biggest arm in, in, in NFL football. So yep. um, I, I think the big key is going to be, like you said, continue to click on all those cylinders. But then we have to stop stop Derrick Henry so that we can get our offense back on the field. And that's so much easier said than done because I'm sure every single defensive coordinator and head coach goes into the meetings on, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and is like, all right, main objective, stop Derrick Henry. If t- Ryan Tannehill beats <laughs> us, that's cool, whatever. Derrick Henry, he's one of those guys. You can stop him in the first half. You know, his first half stats always – you know – they're probably above league average, but it's crazy, man, because he's the one running back that gets better as the game progressive progresses. And more touches he gets, the better he gets. And obviously, you know, being a defensive line player, throughout the game, you kind of don't want to hit guys yeah. as much that are that big and that fast. So it, it, in my opinion, I feel like if if the tight from a Titans perspective, if they can control the clock throughout the game, at least, and 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 control that possession and limit the amount of possessions that Josh Allen has, I think the Titans have a chance. So what what would you say is the kind of the best count, counterpoint to to that? We just gotta keep we gotta keep laying the wood to them. I think what helps the Bills, you know, Tremaine, Tremaine Edmonds and we have some mm-hmm. weird guys. I played with A.J. Klein uh, of the Carolina Panthers. Obviously played for McDermott yeah, with the Carolina Panthers. So I know how he kind of thinks uh, defensively and in, in the way he prepares for a football game. They're going to have an excellent uh, plan for Derrick Henry and to stop that run. And then the Bills don't get enough credit for a defensive backfield. Uh, I think they'll they'll keep Tannehill pretty tame. Um, and then also helps, you know, last year we didn't have Starlo Tulele, which was another one of my teammates. Oh, he, he, he was going crazy on Sunday night. I mean, he, you, he, he, every play. Oh, he's a monster. And I mean, he's an absolute monster. And uh, when you got that, Ed Oliver and those guys and those young big uh, defensive ends and Mario Addison, another one of my, my teammates for the Carolina Panthers. I played with some of these guys. And I know how they are. They're not going to turn down that, that, uh, that, that heavy task of, of taking on Derrick Henry and, I think, you know, like you said, in the first half uh, is where Derek is pretty tame. But as you said, it's harder in the second half. The thing is, I, I feel like the Bills have a good opportunity to get in a, a pretty sizable lead in the first half and then kind of maintaining in the second. So, Josh, finish this sentence. Josh Allen is a top blank quarterback right now. I think he's a top three. I think uh, I've always liked Josh Allen. Um, look, what's crazy is funny. He's a Bill. Uh, my father-in-law worked for the Bills for 38 years. My wife worked for the Bills for seven or eight years. That's how we actually met. So I've, I've and my mother was a Buffalo Bills fan. So I've always been a Bills fan. Um, and it was just a blessing to be drafted by him. But I had the opportunity of meeting Scott Fuchs at a, um, at a O-line clinic. And this is why he was at Wyoming when Josh was a junior going into his senior year. 
And I never really had heard of Josh Allen. So I started kind of watching and paying attention because some guys, you know, I remember Scott saying, you know, yeah, our quarterback's pretty decent. You know, they're saying he has a chance. And I mean, obviously he ends up drafted yeah. the franchise quarterback for NFL team. Um, but I started paying attention, man. And his, he's a big guy with a big arm, but he's got a huge heart, man. And he, he mm-hmm. plays with it on his sleeve, that kind of moxie um, and just, there's there's you know they talk about intangibles during the draft and they they you know they throw around all these buzzwords but if you're going to talk about it like he's got it you know what i mean like he's got that organization believing in him and he believes in himself and he believes in the guys he believes in the coaches and that's just josh allen he's a top three quarterback i mean tom you know there's tom brady you got you can throw a ton of other names in there it doesn't really matter uh, at the end of the day, he's going to be in my top three. Josh Allen's a little bit more athletic and a little bit faster. And I know Josh Allen obviously had a little bit rougher of a rookie year. But Dayball, Brian Dayball has been done great wonders with Josh Allen. Like I said, I think they're both, Herbert and Josh Allen, I want to see him, Herbert, Allen, and Mahomes in a throw-off and see who can throw the farthest. I yeah. think Josh Allen might win, but I would – like all, if, if all three of those somehow don't make the Super Bowl, I would love to see that in like all-star weekend because – Man, I think they all got cannons. I mean, like, oh, said, no they, question. You know what? Herbert's what? He's like 6'6 six, six as well, right? Like yeah, he's 6'6, six, six, like 230. Yeah, he's he's got massive. that. You got that, that, that leverage, and you know what I'm saying? Like, just big, strong arm. I think the only thing that helps Josh is, you know, the fact that he, you know, you, he's got massive hands, but he threw in Wyoming. And then if yeah. you throw in Buffalo with that wind it's coming cold, up, cold, day, yeah. it's cold and in the wind. I mean, the, the, the flags on each goalpost are whipping different directions. It's just crazy down there in Orchard Park. So the fact that he's throwing in those elements all the oh, time. Oh, I know. And Justin yeah. Herbert gets to throw in a dome in L.A. So I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad he gets to do that. But, no, <laughs> uh, Josh Allen jumping over people as big as he is, he shouldn't, he shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> it looks like you shouldn't have been moving as fast as you were moving, when not, however no, big you man. were. And i tell you what, it's crazy because the only other guy I really have seen that I personally, like, face-to-face yeah. is Cam. I mean, yeah. playing with Cam, it was like that, too. It's like, look at this defensive end out here just juking the heck out of people. I remember one play Cam, like, I remember Matsko was, uh, John Matsko, the O-line coach, was literally just ripping him as he's scrambling around. He drops back, like, 30 yards on a scramble, breaks loose, and then gains, like, 30. So it was, like, ridiculous amount. It was, like, 90 yards of running in one play. And I think Josh is the same way. You know, sometimes you want to see him throw that ball away, which could go – for the Titans, if Josh has any plays like that where, you know, he's taking those big sacks and we're getting behind the chains, mm-hmm. it can be an issue. But he had the one, you know, the one incident against Kansas City. I think he's grown so much tremendously uh, since his rookie year. So, yeah. Jasper, last question for me. So, and and I'm glad you hit on that because it actually leads me to my last question. So, Josh Allen, you know, we, we saw him, you know, 2018, 2019, Josh Allen not, you know, not all that great. He gets Brian Dayball, you know, coaches him up, obviously. You know, huge jump from, from previous Josh Allen to 2020 and now 2021 Josh Allen. Brian Dayball, more than likely, he, he's going to get a head coaching job next, next season. From a coach's perspective like yourself, Josh Allen, once Brian Dayball leaves, do you see that he's already coached all those kind of, you know, 
those little knickknack things, those, those bad decisions out of him already? Or do you think that there's a good possibility he, he might not regress to what he was before, but, but could you see a little bit of a regression just because of how great of a job that Brian Dayball has done with him? I don't. I, I honestly don't. And, um, you know, I think part of that is a testament to Dabo and the great coach that he is. And, you know, every, I've never met him personally, but everything I've heard about him and the phenomenal job he's done with Josh Allen. But it, it's twofold, though. You know, like Josh had to mature. Uh, Josh had to receive that coaching, had to accept it, um, had to grow as a person and a player. And I think that's the testament to Josh. Uh, Josh, is, you know, you can tell, you read all the stories of people in Buffalo, the kid balls out in practice. The kid shows up to work first in, last out. You know, he's the he's a consummate pro. So I don't see a regression. Now, obviously, Brian Dabo is, is the man. He is a baller, baller at Alabama. He's a Western New York kid, so I hope he doesn't leave too soon. Um, but I do see him getting a head coaching job and being phenomenal wherever he's at. But in professional football, when you get guys like Josh Allen, like you, you, I just don't think you really see a regression uh, until their body starts to give. So I think uh, Josh Allen. I mean, he. I mean, I. I hate using Tom Brady as a reference because I just can't stand Tom. Come on with it. Come on, baby. <laughs> but I do see Josh Allen being in that conversation um, at the end of his career. Just simply, if he can stay healthy, um, as athletic as he is, and how he continues to become more intelligent and smarter with the football. He has literally everything you could possibly want in a quarterback. Like he's, he, he's like Aaron Rodgers. Like Aaron Rodgers is probably the, and me and Sam have said this on the pod. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, at least that we've seen is the most talented quarterback, just in terms of like makes all the throws can throw yeah. off the platform, everything like that controls the offense can score, you know, in 30 seconds, no timeouts. And you can see that from Josh Allen easily. Uh, so I, I completely agree with you. He's got everything physically that you, any GM, any coach would want in a quarterback. Uh, so, man, Jasper, Derrick Henry, uh, we talked about this last episode. He's averaging 128 rushing yards per game. That's on pace for 2,176 rushing yards, which would break Eric Dickerson's record. Jesus. He's also scored seven seven touchdowns. And so – Math-wise, he would end with 23.8 touchdowns this season, which would be sixth all-time. I mean, the fact that no media outlet is talking about Derrick Henry, and I'm not even a Titans fan, you know, I'm a Patriots fan, but, like, the fact that no media outlet is, like, giving any credit to Derrick Henry is insane. It is. It's wild, man. That's why I tried to stay away from quarterbacks, you know, because that's everybody talks about. But, man, like, there are some guys this year in the league that are doing some phenomenal things, which is unheard Mm -hmm. of that deserve more respect uh, than some of these quarterbacks. But obviously we know what type of league is it like, what type of league it is. And I, yep. I'd be remiss if I didn't go with Josh Allen. So. Gotcha. Yeah. And hit on this. We'll give you a free ad for, for your, your company. Yeah. Cause I, I'm about to, I'm going to order me some. I hadn't had a chance to yet. Cause exactly. I've been meaning to. Yep. Yeah, man. So banana man is a company that me and uh, one of my dear friends from high school, Ryan Armstrong, Ryan actually started the company years ago and I had a, uh, passed on some opportunities to be a part of it and and um what it is is banana man is, is kind of a threefold beast right here three-headed beast we do a apparel obviously we have some really cool apparel with different themes uh being space beach and mountain themed uh apparel um 
And then we also uh, do coffee. So we have roughly seven to nine flavors of coffee anywhere from Halloween, which is like our pumpkin spice, which is popular right now, uh, to poncho, which is my favorite, which is like a Mexican chocolate. Um, and then we have the Whiskey River that kind of pairs with our whiskey. Uh, when I got into the actual company and became a full partner um, was when Ryan approached me with an idea to, to start a whiskey company. Right. And um, obviously, you know, you're like, yeah, yeah, man, that sounds cool. It sounds like fun. And, and I didn't, you know, I didn't really take it too seriously at first. Just thought I would help out, help push it. Right. And, man, literally in like three months time, you know, me and Ryan, you know, put our hands to the plow and uh, put out a really good product that uh, that was able to to kind of go take off rather quickly. Um, we started off with the um, the direct to consumer market, so kind of like your wine clubs. Yeah. So you can go online and order, and it comes right to your doorstep. Right. Um, when we did our launch down in Florida, um, ended up getting in a total wine. So we're actually in stores uh, two years ahead of our business plan. We're awesome. in stores from South Miami up to uh, Central Florida. So it's been great, man. And right now, our Banana Man whiskey is the umbrella. Uh, our first um, liquid that we've dropped, the juice is called Trouble. Um, it's a rye whiskey um, and it is very smooth. And we're getting great reviews from everyone. Yeah, I, I, it, pre I appreciate it, man. All right. Thank thanks, you, Jasper. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. I, I, hey, I'm brother. doing. Go Bills. All right, brother. Be good, baby. All right, you too. All right, awesome interview with uh, with Coach Jasper. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get into our interview with Chad Withrow. Chad is going to be uh, previewing all the, the Titans and touch on some Tennessee Vols stuff. So uh, without further ado, Chad Withrow. All right, everybody, let's welcome on Chad Withrow. Uh, you can find Chad on Outkick.com, Outkick360 on Twitter, uh, his Twitter handle is at the Chad Withrow, like he is sponsored by the Ohio State University or something like that. Um, also, check out their uh, oh their show Outkick Three Hundred and Sixty goes live uh, weekdays from three to six Eastern, which is two to five Central. That don't know time zones like like I do. I still struggle with time zones. Uh, and then also on Saturdays, you can find them uh, Outkick the Tailgate. They put on a great uh, pregame uh, tailgate show with the Outkick Network. They, they've traveled to Vandy, Alabama, uh, Florida, Knoxville, uh, A&M, and they're going to Athens, Georgia this weekend. Uh, so, Chad, you started at 104.5 in 2004, right, as an intern? That is correct, 2004. So, which means, and this is kind of crazy, which means I met you when I was like nine or 10 years old and I'm 26 now. Um, so during that same time, Clay starts writing for CBS in 2005. He start he, he launches outkick.com in 2011. And then he transitions outkick to radio in 2016 after, uh, after he was done with three HL, uh, you guys, you, Paul Kowarski, and Jonathan Hutton join OutKick in January of this year. OutKick is bought by Fox in May. Now you guys, like I said, are doing tailgates. You're doing events, video content, live shows, uh, after parties following some of the games that y'all are at. So obviously you've got a huge track record, graduated from the University of Tennessee, spent 17 years with 104.5. So in January, January 15th, you 
have an Instagram post saying saying your goodbyes, saying the the thank yous to to one zero four five and all the all the guys there that that made it all possible. And you you say in it, you know, big news coming soon in, in your post. Well, Clay just goes ahead and drops the ball in the comment section on that post and said, "Well said. Excited to get you guys rolling with Outkick." I mean, what were you thinking at that point? Were you just like, well, I guess Cout's out of the bag now. Did he did he do that before uh, we fully announced it? Because it was all very quick. So like, your, your post was 38 weeks ago, and his his comment also has 38 weeks ago. Yeah, I, I think that – so, and I may confuse the timing of it. I mean, obviously, we knew where we were going at the time. But it was very much a – Here's our announcement that we're leaving. Uh, I was shocked that the zone let us say it on air, which they did, which I appreciate. We said our goodbyes. We walked away. And then, like, 10 minutes later, it was scheduled for Clay to break the news uh, for us and announce it in a story at OutKick, which he did. So I'm guessing that he commented on that, you know, in that 10, 15-minute window afterward on that, on that one post. But, no, it would very much be like Clay uh, to spoil the surprise for the rest of us and – and jump in there and, and take the glory for himself. Uh, but no, I, I think it was all, I mean, that, that time, honestly, Jake is such a, it's such a whirlwind because everything was happening so fast. And those last few weeks, you know, it's like, okay, when do we have this conversation? When did this happen? When do we fully make the decision? How do we plan the exit? You know, we're going back and forth with attorneys and everything else. And yeah, it, it was a crazy time. And I actually remember meeting you at uh, at nine or ten years old. Uh, you were, of course, the the son of the great Angie Smith, uh, one of the greatest producers in the history of Nashville radio. Hello, Angie. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to think about, you know, where where I started at the Zone and where things went. And honestly, the fact that I stayed there for seventeen years, you know, sixteen, seventeen years, uh, is a minor miracle in its own right because people don't stay in one place in radio that long typically. Yeah, I actually remember uh, the very first thing you said to me, me and my mom, I was at work with my mom and she was going to the break room just to get something to eat. And she was, we were walking by your office or wherever you were working. And the very first thing you, like my mom introduces me to you. And the very first thing you said to me was, man, you've got some linebacker shoulders. Like, I guess you thought I had some broad shoulders or something. So that always uh, stuck out to me. And, uh, and yeah, man, whenever I saw, you know, your post, I, I, uh, and I saw Clay's comment that, that same day, I, I texted you and I was like, wow, like that's, that's crazy. You know, you've been with the zone for 17 years. So like, how would you describe that journey? You play linebacker. I know you're a basketball player. Did you also play linebacker? Did I? No. Did I- a- absolutely not no no free more safety more uh is what i'm hearing shooting guard shoulder yeah yeah shooting guard yeah there we go yeah uh harrison Barnes shoulders mm-hmm. um so yeah man so ex- like what would you describe that journey i mean like that that is a lot of stuff right there and a lot of stuff happened within those 17 years like it can you describe that yeah i mean it was great you know i, I had a, a really good uh first boss in, in george plaster uh, who was kind enough to, to grant me an internship. And when, when I left college, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, what I wanted to do was work in sports. And that's all I knew. It was very broad, but I had an internship lined up with the Houston Astros. And I was going to work in baseball. I was going to work in football, basketball, wherever. I wanted to be working in a front office. 
I wanted to eventually work my, my way up to be a general manager for a team was the goal. And, you know, I, I was like any kid who loves sports. I grew up watching back in my day, you know, they had the reruns of sports center with Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann every morning. And during the summer, I'd sit there and watch the same sports center four or five times and be able to recite it by the end of it. Well, I didn't know that all this was training for my future job because by the time I started my internship at the zone, first few times I did a report, I could just kind of do it. You know, I, I wasn't, I was much worse at it then than I am now, obviously like with anything, but because I had watched so many sports broadcasts, I guess I just had a decent ear for it. So I could sound like people who were good at it where I was not good at it in the beginning. And, uh, you know, it grew from there. I, I helped produce uh, Georgia's show with Angie and book guests and schedule things and do all that. And this at a time where sports talk radio was very financially successful and Georgia's show was very successful. So they, they had the luxury of adding an entry-level position for someone like me making, you know, I think when I started out, $28,000 a year uh, was my, my first salary. And it was great. You know, I got to work in sports get to be around it all the time. It's a highly competitive environment, which I love and thrive on that. And, uh, you know, it grew from that to high school football reporter on the side to high school football Friday nights in 2006, my second year at the station. That grew into a 6 p.m. hour with Willie Donick uh, in 2009, which grew into, I feel like I'm uh, reciting the Bible, which begat uh, the, 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 uh, the midday 180 in 2012 which eventually begat OutKick 360 and, and working with OutKick. So it, it was quite the journey at the zone. It was a lot of fun. Got to meet a lot of great people and work with a lot of great people, your mom included. And really it came down to, for myself, Jonathan Hutton and, and Paul Kuharski, it was more of a, you know, it, it's kind of time to, to test ourselves. Take that next step, yeah. yeah. I mean, do something with video, do something more with digital. That, that's where the world's headed. And uh, we wanted to go somewhere that really embraced that and could challenge us and where we could do different things and, 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 you know, not just our show, but kind of grow out and do branch out and do more things as well. So it's been great so far over here. We, we've had that opportunity. So we, we love it. So as I mentioned earlier, you guys have traveled to Vandy, Alabama, Florida, Knoxville, A&M. You're going to Georgia this weekend. I, I, I understand this is a tough question. What is, What's been the best atmosphere so far? Obviously, that A&N Bama game last week was probably insane. But, like, from the whole experience, from, from when y'all started recording, shooting the show, all the way through the, through the game, which would you say is the best atmosphere out of those places? Well, so there's, there's two different answers here, kind of two different questions. There's the best town that, that features the best atmosphere, night before the game, build up to the game, location, uh, restaurant, bar scene, all of that. And then there's best atmosphere, you know, best atmosphere. Obviously, best atmosphere was A&M last week beating Alabama. It's, it's an all-timer. You know, it's, I've seen a lot of college football games on TV and live. It's, I, I don't want to overstate and say it's number one, even though I think it might be. But it's top three, for sure, of my life. And the Aggie Nation was on fire that night. So that's definitely number one. A lot of times, you know, we go into these towns, we go do our show and we leave before the game also. So I kind of have to judge atmospheres based on what we see the night before a game, what we see surrounding it. And I, I would say Texas A&M so far is still number one in that regard. Uh, our experience the night before the game, uh, the tailgates around the stadium, everything was top notch. 
I am looking forward to Athens this week because, like I said, the two different questions, when you get into college towns, Athens, Georgia, and Oxford, Mississippi, on my list, you, you can't – and I'm a, I'm a Knoxville guy. I love Knoxville. But I went to those places in college and go there now, and I'm, every time I think, you know, I could have gone to school here. This, this isn't so bad. This is, this is a nice place to be. So I'm looking forward to Athens to see how it ranks. But it's hands down so far for me, College Station and, and at Texas A&M. So speaking of college football, obviously you being from around here, you went to UT. Obviously, we got to talk about some UT football. So Josh Heupel, I didn't even know this about him until I started doing some research when he first got hired. He was runner-up Heisman quarterback on the 2000 National <laughs> National Championship team. You're, you're, you're showing your age now, Jake. Uh, you're, yeah. you're so young when that happened because for people of my generation, that's, that's all we knew Josh Heupel for. When I first heard his name, I was like, the old Oklahoma quarterback is coaching offense somewhere uh, when he was coaching at Missouri and, and at Oklahoma. Yeah, he was – he was a great quarterback for Mike Leach. You know, he was one of the original Mike Leach quarterbacks when he was offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. So in his three seasons, be, being the head coach at, at UCF, finished in the top 10 in points scored. So UT, as it sits right now, is averaging 41.5 points per game, which ranks seventh in the nation. Um, so my big thing when we hired Pruitt, when the Vols hired Pruitt, was I, I get he's a saving guy. I didn't like it because he didn't have any head coaching experience. That was the only, like, disagreement that I had. Heupel comes from a, I mean, you know, lower level, you know, Division One school, but, I mean, they've been really on the map the past couple seasons, and he gets hired. I like the hire a little better, and offensive-wise, Dude, so far, I love it. I mean, like, this is a UT that I feel like that we haven't even seen, not even with Butch Jones, with all that, like, just straight talent that we had on the roster. I mean, weren't even putting up this many points. Um, so, right now, UT's record sits at 4-2. and two. We've got Ole Miss, Alabama, or at Alabama, at Kentucky, Georgia, South Alabama, Vanderbilt. What's your outlook on the rest of this season in terms of what you're looking for out of UT in order to get that seven and five record to be able to go on to a, to a bowl game? Cause I mean, besides, you know, South Alabama and Vandy at the end of the year, I mean, got some juggernauts, Ole Miss, Bama and Kentucky and Georgia. I mean, you got to win one to two of those, I, I feel like. What, what's your thoughts? Look, I think going to the season, six and six was going to be a success, and, and it's going to be a huge, you know, it's going to take a monumental letdown to not get to six and six at this point, and that would be bowl eligibility for Tennessee. So that would take a win over South Alabama and Vanderbilt to get there. I think Tennessee's got a good shot against Ole Miss at home. I think Tennessee may have a better shot at Kentucky simply because it's after a bye, and it's sort of a long stretch for Kentucky – of tough games leading into that. So Hypel given the extra week to prepare, Kentucky not playing a lot of teams that play that fast. One thing about Hypel's offense I've noticed, there is a shock factor to it. You've seen them just completely blitz Missouri and South Carolina where they can't adjust to the pace and the speed early on. They can't adjust to not substituting because you're going no huddle and you're snapping it every seven seconds. So for that reason, I think, 
you're not going to get that this week because Ole Miss plays just as fast or faster. So these are two teams that are prepared for that pace. There's not going to be the shock factor, but I've been impressed with his ability to do that to other teams. Um, I think, you know, the likeliest outcome right now, if you're just going by Vegas point spreads, it's that Tennessee beats South Alabama, beats Vandy, loses the other games, goes to six and six, which is a good season. I think seven and five is a great season, Jake. And I think they got a good shot against Ole Miss this week. They got a good shot against Kentucky. They're not beating Alabama. They're not beating Georgia. Um, but it's, you know, it's here, here's what's great about this Tennessee season with Josh Heifel. It's fun. You know, there's, there were no expectations coming in. Tennessee fans have gotten a little bit higher expectations, but they haven't gotten carried away. They know where this program is. They've got 71 scholarships. They're well below the limit of where they can be because all the transfers out. Um, I want to see recruiting start to pick up at some point. You know, that's, that's the big hurdle for Josh Heifel. But look, the guy can coach offense. There's no doubt about it. He's got a natural knack for play calling, for timing. You know, you can't teach that a lot of times. Guys just have that ability in games, and I think Heifel is one of those guys. So for that reason, I've been very impressed with him in year one, and it's, it's been a fun season. It's going to be a heck of a fun atmosphere uh, in Knoxville on Saturday night against Ole Miss. If you could pinpoint something for Heifel. So, so when he was at, at UCF, I, I'm pretty sure me and you had this same text conversation where it was regression during his three seasons each year in terms of record wise, it, it was a little bit of a regression, but that's because, you know, some guys like co- the head coach leaves, gets fired, whatever. And, you know, some guys transfer out. So like, you got to bring in, you know, young guys, so, some new blood. What are you looking for in terms of the recruits? If you had to, if you had to pick offense or defense as the team sits right now, what would you like the main focus for Heifel to be on? Well, he's got to get um, – you got to get difference makers on, on both lines of scrimmage. You know, it, you can play as fast-paced as you want, but ultimately, you know, they, they want to run over people. They want to run through people. Um, that, that's what Josh Heupel – you know, you hear fast-paced, high-scoring offense, and you immediately think, uh, you know, throwing the ball 40 times a game, and that's not Heupel. He wants to throw it 17 times and run it a ton and, and run it with the quarterback also. So I think offensive line, defensive line, Tennessee's got to get more talented in both spots eventually. And they've got some talent. They definitely have some veteran guys there that can help. Um, that, that's the key, I think, in recruiting. And in terms of the, you know, the regression of the records, he had a bad quarterback injury at UCF, obviously. That was you know, somewhat a part of that. But that's what happens a lot of times. You take over a program, and year one, you may know, hey, this is going to be good because the guy before me left some talent. So you can come in, shake things up a little bit, and have a great year one, and then things reset in year two. And you go way down in year two, and everybody says, well, what just happened? What's going on? And that could actually be sort of the year one of, okay, now we're changing over. We lost a lot of seniors. We got to get new guys in. We're young all of a sudden. I don't see that being the case for Heupel. At least it shouldn't be. Based on this roster, they should continue to improve, especially if Hendon Hooker gets that extra year, that COVID year and stays healthy and comes back for a second year. But, I mean, there's a lot of encouraging signs. But, I mean, it's – look, he, he, he's taking the job for a reason, and he's there for a reason. Tennessee football has not been where it's needed to be probably since that 5-0 and start in 2016 uh, where they beat Florida and Georgia. And they are so far off from beating Florida and Georgia anytime soon 
But the step one is beating Missouri, South Carolina, Vandy, and getting back up there with Kentucky. And I think that he's done a great job of doing that in year one by blowing out Missouri, blowing out South Carolina. They should blow out Vandy and play with Kentucky. Kentucky's clearly right now the number two team in the SEC. So the quicker Tennessee can get back on top of Kentucky and be a clear-cut number three in the East, that's the quicker you're going to get back to at least being in the discussion with Florida. And maybe if Kirby Smart cools off in recruiting ever, being in the discussion with Georgia also. Yeah, and, and going back a few seconds ago to, to what you just said, one thing that, that I liked about him that he said in his press conference, differing from Butch Jones and from Jeremy Pruitt, though, those two guys both said, you know, these things take time. You, you know, you, you got to let it, – it's a process. Oh, Heupel was just like, no, this is there's, – there's an expectation here at this university and in this Southeastern Conference. Like, winning is now – like, winning is important – and it has to it has to start right now. There there's no time for you know taking years to build up. And I love that. I love that aggressiveness um, out, out of out of him. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah, I think when you start to set up the excuses, every time you talk to the media, you're talking to your team also. And then guys, even if they don't want to or they don't really think subconsciously, they start to think, well, you know, our coach is kind of give us giving us an out. You know, we're not supposed to be good this year. It's going to take time. We're not going to win a lot of games. So that's the expectation. So I guess, you know, that's, that's what's going to happen this year. And Heupel's been consistent. He said, it is my job to try to get this program as good as possible, as fast as possible. And the way he plays and the speed in which he plays, that reflects his mantra as a coach. And I think that's been refreshing. He hasn't talked about process. He hasn't talked about a time frame or anything else. He wants this program to be as good as possible, as fast as possible. And he's acknowledged multiple times, look, this is a better program than, than I've been at before at UCF. You know, he talked about playing against Lane Kiffin at FAU when he was at UCF. And he said, we're both at very different programs now compared to where we were. So this is a very different game and a very different atmosphere than those programs. I, I think Josh Heupel understands that. He seems like a positive guy. He's not overly emotional, which I think Butch Jones at times and Jeremy Pruitt overly emotional when coaching. I think he can kind of distance himself from that while showing the proper energy uh, to, to be a coach in the SEC. So what I've seen from that respect has been good so far, but I'm with you, Jake. I like the lack of excuse making or setting things up to where you're going to fail early and then you'll eventually have success. He's just calling it like it is, and he's trying to be as good as possible right now. And so far, Tennessee, especially offensively, has definitely exceeded everyone's expectations. Yeah, only thing I don't like about him is – He's got kind of a weak chin, you know what I mean? Doesn't have much of a, uh, you yeah. know, Brad Pitt jawline or anything like that. But it's um, where, you know, I think it's uh, the clothes that he wears sometimes aren't as flattering. Like if I was a stylist, I'd say, you know, he's he's got a dad bod. Like he's not really a fat guy. He's just got the dad bod. And there are ways that you can kind of clean that up with the clothing that you wear. I feel like uh, a, a proper stylist could maybe help him out with that a little bit. All right, so let's shift to Titans talk. Um, one player in specific, Derrick Henry, uh, currently right now his average went up, uh, 128 rushing yards per game, seven touchdowns so far. So he is on pace to rush for 2,176 yards, which would obviously break Eric Dickerson's record. And then Derrick Henry would 
become the first player ever in NFL history to have two 2,000-yard seasons. Also, his seven touchdowns, he's on pace to score 23 touchdowns, which would be sixth all-time. So the Titans always seem, even if you go back to the Houston Oilers with Earl Campbell, always a history of good running backs. Earl Campbell, Eddie George, Chris Johnson, and now Derrick Henry. Right now, and then if he does break this record, but right now, where does Derrick Henry rank for you in those Titans slash Houston Oilers running backs? Um, I mean, he's, he's on pace to be the best of all time for the Titans. Like, you know, right now he's right there uh, with those guys. But when his career's over, I don't think there's going to be any doubting that Derrick Henry is a Hall of Famer and that he's the best Titans slash Oilers running back of all time. You know, those numbers you throw out there and what he's on pace to do, my initial reaction would be, well, they're going to kill him by running him so much before that happens. But this guy's different. I mean, he's one guy that I, you have to second-guess yourself and say, maybe he's just built so different that it's not going to matter. Because conventional wisdom with any running back at any level of football is you give them that many carries and they're going to get less and less effective. And in most cases, when you're playing in the NFL, you're going to get less and less effective in a hurry. You're going to fall off a cliff from a production standpoint. So that has not happened with Derrick Henry. You know, fingers crossed by every Titans fan that it doesn't happen anytime soon. But I watch the guy play more and more, and I think, you know, this guy's just different. And we have to, we have to evaluate him in a different way because he is so physically different than everyone else. But in the end, he's going to be the greatest Titans running back of all time, and I don't think it's going to be close. Would you put him there right now? Against Earl Campbell? I mean, yeah. who are you comparing him to? Earl Campbell? No, mm -hmm. because, um, you know, Earl Campbell, obviously, in the Hall of Fame, uh, I don't know that Derrick Henry's there right now, but by the end of this season, he probably will be at this pace. So, again, right now, I'd probably give a slight edge to Earl Campbell, but very soon it's going to be Derrick Henry. The thing with him and, and kind of what you were alluding to is that he gets better as the game goes on. Usually in the first half, typically it's not anything crazy. I mean, he, he's obviously above league average in the first half amongst running backs. But in the second half, it's just like the more carries you give this guy, it doesn't do anything to his body. It, it like It's almost like steroids for him. The more times he gets that ball, the more juiced up he gets throughout the game and the better he does. I mean, it's literally the complete opposite of what you would think uh, in terms of running back in the NFL. Um, so switching positions to Ryan Tannehill. Uh, you know, Tannehill, not – I don't want to say he's regressing just because it, it is early in the season. He's got a new offensive coordinator. So Todd Downing was the OC of the Oakland Raiders. His, the only year that he's been an offensive coordinator except for this year in 2017 – the Raiders finished 6-10. and 10. They only averaged 18.8 points a game. Now, we can talk about the Titans' offense as a whole, but that would take a whole podcast in itself. Ryan Tannehill, what, what's the biggest difference? Is it the change in offensive coordinator for him so far? I mean, the offense, I feel like with Arthur Smith, everything was kind of run through Derrick Henry to an extent. The Titans, uh, I forgot the stat. I brought it up on the second episode of the podcast, but the Titans last year used the most play action out of anybody in the NFL. 
in week one this year against the Cardinals when the offensive line got dominated, they used in that one week, they used the least amount of play action. And you've you've seen it get better week by week. But I mean, what what is it with Ryan Tannehill? It, is it the the change in OC? Is it the the scheme that that Downing is using? Is it Julio being banged up and AJ being banged up? You know, losing Jonu Smith. I mean, what what is it for you? It's it's a little bit of everything. I mean, it, it's Arthur Smith. The loss of him was huge. Uh, Todd Downing has not been good until this past week. I thought he improved uh, with his scheme and play calling against Jacksonville. Um, and the offensive line is terrible. I mean, you know, let's, let's call it like it is. I mean, I, I don't know. I'd love to see more effective play action. I don't know if he's got time to both fake a handoff and throw the football on certain plays. That, that seems like it takes too much time for the offensive line to, to block for him. So, I mean, I, I think it's all of that. You know, losing Corey Davis and then not having a healthy Julio Jones or A.J. Brown, when he had A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, who had a very good year last year. You know, people want to write him off, but he wasn't, you know, worthy of the number five pick in his entire time in Nashville, but he had a very good 2020. That was a big loss. Jonu Smith, a huge loss, especially in the red zone. But I think it's a combination of everything. Can they fix it? I think they can fix the Julio getting healthy, AJ getting healthy, Todd Downing getting smarter and better as he goes part of it. Um, I'm not convinced the offensive line right now can be completely fixed. And that that's just going to be a constant problem and something that Todd Downing is going to have to try to scheme around. So going into the bills and Titans game. uh, First, are you, are you a believer? Because it's kind of it kind of coincides with Ryan Tannehill a little bit in terms of the offensive coordinator discussion. Are you a like a true believer in Josh Allen, or is he one of those guys that has to have somebody like Brian Dayball? Like whenever Brian Dayball probably takes a head coaching job after this season, I mean, do you think that Josh Allen is going to go back to 2018, Josh Allen? I, I mean, or, what, what do you think? I'm a, I'm a true believer, uh, and, and it's for this reason. I doubted him when, when the Bills – I've got a lot of Bills fans in my family. My, my brother-in-law is from Hamburg, New York, and a huge Bills fan, his whole family. So we talk about the Bills a lot in my family. I was not a believer when he came out of Wyoming because I said the one thing you can't fix is accuracy. You know, if, you, if you're at that point in your career in college and you're going to the NFL and you're, you're not accurate, it's not going to change. He wasn't accurate his rookie year wasn't that accurate for part of his second year. And then something happened where he became an accurate passer. And uh, I, I know Mike Vrabel said it's almost like a wildcat, you know, running back playing quarterback, but he can throw it better than anyone else in the league or as well. It really is remarkable. I mean, look, he's the real deal. I think whoever his offensive coordinator is, he's going to be fine. And I've got, done a complete 180 on this. I was not uh, a firm believer in him, but he has changed my mind. He's, he's great. So last two questions. Um, I, I mean, one of them is not really a question. So last season, the Titans just trounced the bills last year, 42, 16. What, what are your, if you could name three keys for a Titans victory, just in general, what, what would you say those are? Start fast. I think it's one of them. Titans uh, are very – they're 25th. Jonathan Hutton had this stat today. 25th in the league in first uh, quarter yards. 
and the Bills have been jumping on people. Uh, you need a well-schemed, designed first drive at home on Monday Night Football. You know, at least be tied in the first quarter. But it would be great to, to jump out on Buffalo and be up 10 nothing in the game. Uh, so starting fast, I think, is a key uh, for the Titans. This is the obvious one, but they can't turn it over. That They can't have a blindside hit on Tannehill that leads to a fumble. Tannehill can't have a terrible interception like we saw against Indianapolis. So a lack of turnovers is a big part of it. And I think, um, you know, limit the big plays. But Buffalo has been really good. That They will attack you. They're going to go deep. They've had a lot of 20-plus yard runs this year also. Titans defense has not been that great against limiting big plays. That's got to be a key in this game. Make them earn it. If they have to deke and dunk it down the field, make them do that. You know, make them earn it. Not as many. You're, you're going to give up big plays against this offense, but you need to limit those big plays. I think those are the three keys for Titans. Any time, man, that, that for, for a Patriots fan perspective or, or just Tom Brady in general, what I've seen every time that somebody has beaten the Patriots throughout the 20-year run, it was because they limited the possessions that Tom Brady had. They controlled the clock. And I feel like, you know, somebody like Derrick Henry, obviously like your bell cow back, the, the best running back in the league, the Titans, in my opinion, have to take full advantage of that. I understand the Bills have a, a top-notch defense right now, but you have got to limit those big plays that you were just alluding to and try to control at least the time of possession. I feel like if the Titans can control the time of possession and, you know, force Josh Allen to make a couple bad decisions maybe because he did make one last week. He threw an interception. Uh, he tried to throw a 45-yard pass, I think, to Diggs uh, over the middle of the field uh, in their own territory. And, you know, just kind of those – those bad decisions are, are still what like looms over Josh Allen. But I feel like if the Titans can control the clock and limit those possessions for those offensive plays for the bills, I mean, they've got a shot to They've got a shot to honestly beat the bills by multiple scores. If they can, you know, control the clock. Yeah. I mean, it's going to take a big effort uh, from the Titans. And look, it, they had all those guys out with COVID a year ago uh, on that weird Tuesday night game because of the delay. And they, they, they killed Buffalo. It's going to take something similar to that from an effort standpoint, because right now Buffalo is far better uh, than the Titans. I mean, Buffalo, you could argue, is the best team in football right now. So um, it's going to take a big effort. But we know the Titans are capable of rising up when people are doubting them. You know, that, that performance against the Jets was awful in that loss. And this is kind of where they rise to the occasion is when their backs are against the wall. So – We'll see if Mike Vrabel can do it again on Monday night. Yeah, and and Derrick Henry, going back to him, the fact that no media outlet that I've seen on Twitter, Instagram, nothing, Twitter put out another poll this morning on, you know, who's leading the MVP race, and it was a picture of three quarterbacks. It was Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray. How, how insane is it that, like, is it because the Titans are a smaller market team? Do you feel like that Derrick Henry does not get that credit that he deserves? I mean, he's got 600-plus rushing yards this year. I think two things. We're obsessed with quarterbacks. You know, it's a quarterback obsession, so they're always going to lead the way. And I don't think the Titans do him a lot of favors because he's not in on third and fourth down a lot of times. 
He's not a third down back. You know, he is a first and second down running back. It is a, it is a Jeremy McNichols situation on third down for the Titans. So I think that people look at that also and say, you know, quarterbacks are in the game on third and fourth down. So I, I probably give the, you know, the tip of the cap to the quarterbacks in that respect. But no, you're right. I mean, he should get more consideration. And I think it's not a, a knock on Derrick Henry as much as it's a knock at running backs versus quarterbacks more than anything else. Well, all right, Chad, this has been awesome, man. Everybody, again, uh, follow Chad on Twitter at the Chad Withrow. Uh, follow Outkick360 on Twitter. Uh, there are tailgates on Saturday mornings uh, on the Outkick Network. And uh, you can also watch Outkick360 live on Twitter uh, and on the Outkick Network uh, from 3 to 6 Eastern, 2 to 6 Central. Uh, Chad, this has been awesome, man. We really appreciate it. Jake, it's been fun, man. Thanks for having me on. Good luck with everything. Yes, sir. All right, awesome, awesome interviews from those two guys. Um, all right, so, Sam, let's get into our week preview uh tonight's game we're currently watching it right now you know it's going to be a late one guys we're not afraid of the grind okay we're <laughs> it's 804 currently we are not afraid of the grind all right uh i think we both have the bucks in this game tonight absolutely uh, as of right now the score is 14 to 7 tom brady is 11 of 12 for 121 yards and two touchdowns uh the bucks looks like they can't stop a nosebleed on defense but you know, when you got Tom Brady, it doesn't really matter. Uh, all right, so London game Sunday morning, Dolphins, Jaguars. Jaguars. Jaguars get their first win. I bet on them to get their one of the – I bet them in a parlay. So, uh, I'm rocking with the Jaguars. You got to get your first win at some point. Your quarterback's too – he has – he's struggled, but he's too talented. Jamie Robinson is too good. Miami sucks. In London, I mean – Jaguars should probably relocate there anyway, so uh, Jaguars get their first win. I think it's going to go to the Dolphins just because Urban Meyer already doesn't know what he's doing, and a long trip like that where you have like a eight to eight hour like time difference. Yeah. I think I don't know. I think it's a lot of lot of room for disaster for the Jaguars. So I'm going with the Dolphins. All right, uh, Packers at Bears. Packers. Yeah, Packers. Easy. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's at it's at Chicago, um, at Soldier Field. But Aaron Rodgers literally owns the Bears. Like the people should go and look up his stats against the Bears. It is astounding. Yeah. Um, all right, Bengals at Lions. Uh, Bengals. Yeah, Bengals. Too. A lot of people I, have their. A lot of people have the Lions getting their first win. I don't think it comes this weekend. Uh, like we said on the last podcast, I hope Dan Campbell get, gets that win. I He wants to win so bad, not just for him, but for his guys. And I know the crying was a little much, but you can tell he those are real tears, and he truly cares. Um, all right, Texans at Colts. Colts. Yeah, Colts. It's Wins, probably not going to be close. Wins yeah. is balling. Uh, Rams at Giants. Uh, Rams. Giants, yeah. the whole team is on our – Rams as well. Kansas City at Washington football team. Kansas City must win. Kansas must City, win. that's what I have written down as well. Kansas City must win. Kansas City might win this game by two scores. Uh, Vikings at Panthers. I had a tough time with this one. What, what do you got? I've picked the Vikings every game this year, and I'm not stopping now. Skull Vikings. It, yeah, st statistics-wise, you know, they got to win 
win one of your picks at some point. Uh, yeah, I've got the Vikings as well. The Vikings, low-key, they're probably the best, worst team in the NFL. What's the record? Uh, they went to, are they two and three? Yeah, there's something like that. But they're – yes, they, they're two and three. Their three losses combined 11 points. Yeah. Like, if you combine all Chargers. their losses – Very Charger-like. The difference is 11 points. They're yep. a good football team. It's just their record doesn't reflect it. Yep. Uh, speaking of Chargers, Chargers at Ravens. Chargers, they're three-point dogs at Ravens. Uh, you saw Justin Herbert put up 47 points against the number three defense in football. Uh, we saw what Carson Wentz did to the Ravens. Uh, Ravens are a run team, which is, poses a problem for us, but they're not a power run team. They're going to get to the edges. They're going to do a lot of options and stuff like that. They're going to key off Bosa, but you can key off Bosa, but Bosa's going to make a play. Lamar's turned it over quite a few times this year. Uh if they're able to run it right downhill, we're in trouble, but I don't think they're built for doing that. I think they're built for on the edge. Uh, give me Chargers. Cardinals at Browns. Very Who'd interesting you pick? You, game. you didn't pick. You didn't pick. Who'd you pick? Chargers? Oh, Chargers. Yeah, Chargers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, Cardinals at Browns. Uh, Cardinals. Dogs. Road dogs. I'm picking the Cardinals. They stay undefeated. I think the Browns will drop two in a row. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I just That's my gut. I got a feeling Miles Garrett is going to tee off on Kyler Murray. Miles Garrett, he is so big and so athletic that and he's fast. Like have you seen him like chase chase down running backs and wide receivers? I think like Kyler Murray is in a world of trouble this weekend. I, I I'm going to I'm going to make a bold prediction. I'm going to say Miles Garrett finishes with at least two sacks on Kyler Murray this well, weekend. Well, last last week he played a good Rashawn Slater and had a quiet two sacks and a quiet day for him. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Raiders at Broncos. <sighs> uh, honestly, this is tough. This is tough considering all the stuff that's going on surrounding the Raiders. Broncos as well, starting three and two, dropping two in a row. Uh, and I'm having to look and see who I picked because I, I struggled with this. Uh, Raiders. I picked the Raiders. I think uh, I know it's in Denver, but I think Denver is worse than way worse than we thought. I think they. I I think the Raiders. I hate picking the Raiders. And Derek, I pissed Derek Carr through for 200 yards against a bad Chicago team last week. But um, yeah, I think I, I think that I, I've got the Broncos in this one. I think that there's just so much drama re- regarding the Raiders right now, yeah. and they. They promoted their special teams coach to be a to be the interim head coach. I hate when teams do that. Like, pick your offensive coordinator or or pick your defensive coordinator to be the interim head coach. Like, I hate when they do the whole special teams thing. It's it's gross. Like, there's special teams for like there's special teams coach for a reason. And not knocking anybody that's a special teams coach, but there's a reason why they're not an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator. To be a, a successful NFL coach, you have to be one or the other, and you have to take those necessary steps to be a head coach. And I, yep. I never think – Joe Judge was the special teams coach for the Patriots. He's now with the Giants. The Giants are a dumpster fire. I, I mean, like, that, that's firsthand right there. Yeah. Um, Cowboys at the New England Patriots. Cowboys. Really? Yeah, I easy, got the easily. <laughs> and the spread opened up at three at three, and it was at four in about an hour. I mean, it's the it's, the Patriots. 
I, Offensively, I don't they don't have think, they don't have enough firepower. Yeah, 100%. They don't have the firepower. The Cowboys' defense is sneaky, really good. They got the best cornerback in the NFL currently. It is sneaky good. I didn't think they were good, but they are sneaky good, even without Demarcus Lawrence. Yeah, I mean, they, they held the Chargers down in points. I'm, I mean, one of the best offensive offenses in the NFL. You know, it's one of those things where also defensive-wise for the Patriots, we just don't match up with the Cowboys. The Cowboys can run it. We've got one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. It's gross. We got one of the best pass defenses in the NFL, only giving up a little uh, a notch above 200 passing yards per game. But the Cowboys, they can run it with Tony Pollard and the backup Ezekiel Elliott. Yes, I just called Ezekiel Elliott the backup. <laughs> uh, we do have a few Cowboys uh, fans that listen to this, and I, I've been texted and tweeted at that we need to talk more about the Cowboys. So this is your Cowboys uh, minute. And we're off to the next game now. Uh, Seahawks at Steelers. Steelers. I got the Steelers as well. This one was actually kind of tough for me. The only reason why I picked the Steelers is because it's in Pittsburgh and also the whole Russell Wilson thing. If Russell Wilson was healthy, uh-huh. more than likely I'm I'm picking the Steelers on this one. Yeah, uh, I'm picking the Seahawks. Steelers want to do one thing, and that's run the ball down your throat. Seattle, 32nd-ranked defense in terms of the run. Najee Harris – I have him in fantasy, and I cannot wait for him to just absolutely – because Gino's going to have – I don't know. We might get God Gino like he was the other night, so we'll see. All right, so we got the Steelers in that one. Um, all right, Monday Night Football, Bills at Titans. We just heard a huge breakdown of, of both sides, uh, of the Bills and of the Titans. Sam, what what do you think? You know, I came really close to give it set picking Titans. Really close. I think – I could so see this a, t- a game where Derrick Henry, they manage the clock, keep it out of Josh Allen's hands. But the Bills are clicking on all cylinders. Uh, they just are. Uh, bills, 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 Bills. Yeah, I got the Bills in this one. Sorry, Titans fans. Um, don't be surprised if the Titans win, though. Dude, I will not be surprised. Don't be surprised. And we talked about it with Jasper. Uh, I talked about it with Chad. And if the Titans can go out there – first quarter and like assert their dominance and Derrick Henry actually gets going in the first half and not wait till the second half and they can control the clock. They, they control time of possession. They keep the ball away from Josh Allen. They keep their stinking, their horrible defense off the field. The Titans can easily win this game. If they can do those things, they can control time of possession, keep Josh Allen off the field and keep their defense off the field. The Titan, there's no reason why the Titans shouldn't win. Um, but uh, I, I just, I don't see it happening. I, I've got the Bills in this one. The Bills are clicking literally on all cylinders, all three phases of the game. Uh, Sam, oh, by the way, Sam, I picked 10 road teams to win this week. There's, four, not, I, there's 14 games this week, and I picked 10 road teams. Only so four my, home teams I've got winning. In my bets this week, and I actually picked Bucks, Packers, Rams, Chiefs, Cardinals, Cowboys, Bills, all the way, and then Dolphins at Jags, which is really in London, and I picked the Jags. So the one home team I picked is not even home. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be – a lot of good teams are away this week. Uh, all right, so parlay to poverty. So what, what do you got on that? Dallas 
either Dallas money line or Dallas spread. Pick your poison. I think they cover either either one. It opened up at like I said three. I think it's at four now. Maybe be, it may be back down to three and a half by the time y'all get it. But uh, I know no one no one probably takes these bets anyways. But you probably should considering I won a grand last weekend. Haters suck it. Uh, Boy, Sam is hot. You need to listen to his parlay to poverty picks because he is absolutely killing it right now. Uh, second, I'm gonna give you a parlay: L.A. Rams, Buffalo Bills, Kansas City, all money line plus 134 odds. So you put 100 bucks, you're getting 134 back on top of the 100 that you put in. So 234 payday, that's pretty good odds for three almost locks, I would say. Who'd you uh, say again? Run through those one more time. L.A. Rams, Buffalo Bills, Kansas City, all money line. I love those picks. That, yep. Yeah. That, I will those, be taking those are it. Perfect. All right. What's uh, your last one? Chargers plus three. Personally, I took the Chargers FanDuel bet of Chargers by one to thirteen because if the Chargers do find a way to win this game in Baltimore, it won't be by two touchdowns. Uh, and it was plus one eighty five odds, so you can take that or the money lines like plus one twenty eight or Chargers plus three. Uh, that might be safer for you too, but uh, that, that's my three good bets. And like I said, I feeling pretty good. I I'll post all my bets on Twitter uh, later in the weekend. Also, that I'm other ones that I'm taking, but uh, that big weekend for me last weekend in terms of picks and bets. All right, uh, fantasy locks and one non lock. Okay, uh, my first lock will be like I said earlier, talking about the Steelers, Seahawks, Najee Harris. Like I said, if you got him, you're gonna play him anyways, but uh, I think last last ranked defense in terms of the run, you got to play him. Uh, second, and I'm gonna kind of play off what you did last week. Chiefs players, Ty- Tyreek and Travis, really. Chiefs must win. They're pissed off. They're two and three. They suck. They're playing Washington, whose defense is probably first to worst. Not worst, but they're they're pretty bad. Uh, look for Tyreek to have one of his big games. Travis to have one of his big games. They got they've gotten kind of embarrassed uh, as Tom Brady throws a pick. Uh, <laughs> But that's my, that's my second lock. And then I'm going to do ball my, hit the ground, but but yeah, did, did, yeah keep going. You're ahead yeah, of me. hit the ground. Oh, I'm watching it right now. Uh, oh, do they overturn it? Uh, not yet, but that ball definitely hit the ground. I hope okay. that's not a pick. Uh, my, my don't lock did not play. Listen, I know he's probably the best receiving threat they have on the team. I know he balled out last week. I understand that. But do not play Mark Andrews if you have a decent backup. Derwin James has locked down Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey this year. Darren Waller luckily got a touchdown to make his stat look a little bit line look a little bit better. Do not play them. Do not play Mark Andrews unless you just have zero backup. If there's a good backup on the waiver wire, grab him and bench him because I'm telling you, Derwin James, they don't have a receiver threat. Unless they put Derwin James and Lamar the whole game, which is very possible he's going to be on Mark Andrews and Lamar's not going to have anybody to throw the ball to. So that's, uh, that's my fantasy input for the weekend. All right. My fantasy locks. Uh, my first one is Latavius Murray. The reason why Sam is because the chargers are currently the worst in the NFL in run defense. The chargers are giving up a whopping 157.6 rushing yards per game. That is last in the NFL. The Ravens, they 
obviously they're going to have to run the ball to win this game. They're not going to be able to throw it, just like you said, Derwin James, Asante Samuel Jr. Like, uh, the Chargers secondary is stout. It's low-key stout. Nobody talks about them, but they are very good. Uh, in order for the Ravens to win, they're going to have to run this ball and run it a lot and to keep it away from Justin Herbert. Uh, my second is going to be Najee Harris as well. Uh, Seattle is giving up the second most rushing yards per game at yep. 145.2 points a game. It is a fantastic – this is a perfect game for Najee Harris to have his coming out party. It's like it needs to happen. I get it. The Steelers' offensive line, not the best, not the best. But Najee Harris can do so many other things. He can catch the ball coming out of the backfield – and everything like that. I mean, it, just in general, Najee Harris, not just from a running back perspective, but also catching the ball. I, I think this is a perfect opportunity for him to really get going and, you know, put his put his footprint on the NFL coming out as a rookie. My don't play. Hot take. Adam oh Thielen. Adam Thielen. Don't play Adam Thielen this weekend. The Panthers have the best passing defense. The Panthers only give up. 161 passing yards a game. What is their run defense terrible? Does nobody does nobody pass the ball? Who have they played? I have I need to go look at this because that's crazy. <laughs> they they have they low key their DBs are stacked. Let me I want to give me a second continue while I look at so, the, up the Panthers DBs. So they're giving up 161 passing yards, which is not great. Also, the Vikings quarterback is Kirk Cousins which means he, he's not known for, you know, pushing the ball down the field. So I think this is a very bad matchup for Adam Thielen personally. Justin Jefferson, he's always going to do his thing. He He's going to be fine. If you got Justin Jefferson, you have to play him. He's a wide receiver one. You, you, you just have to play him. But in terms of Adam Thielen, don't play him. Stay away. Uh, Sam, have you have you found what you're looking for? No, I haven't. But they got AJ Boye. They got Spawn Gilmore now. Uh, Dante Jackson from LSU. Something something Jackson is it I don't, from LSU? I don't know. And then they had the other guy from South Carolina that they just put on IR. Uh, what's his name? The the kid out of South Carolina. He wears number eight. Oh, JC Horn. JC Horn. Yeah, I know he's out. But like I said, they their defensive backfield. If I can't find what I, the tweet that I originally found. But oh, C.J. Henderson as well. They got it from Jacksonville. That's that. That's another guy. I mean, it's and Chin too, who could have been uh, the rookie of the defensive rookie of the year last year. Did he win defensive rookie of the year last year? He had like all these those pick sixes and stuff like that. They got their defensive backs are loaded. They are absolutely loaded. So yeah, I, I, that's a good that's a good take. All right, everybody. Well, that does it for this episode. Um, so yeah. Make sure to uh, to follow Jasper as he's, you know, the the head coach of Bethel University, mine and Sam's alma mater, former Buffalo Bills, former Tennessee Titans, former Carolina Panthers, former New York Giant, and also Chad Withrow. Find him on pretty much every media outlet at the Chad Withrow on Twitter. Follow Outkick360 on Twitter. They do their live shows on there. Uh, go to outkick.com. You can find all their all their blogs and all their social media stuff, all their video content. Uh, also, they will be in Georgia this weekend in Athens, Georgia, for the Outkick tailgate. Uh, they put on a great show. Watch that online at Outkick.com. Uh, you can look at the tab, uh, 
outkick the tailgate is what it's under and they do a live show previewing the the college football game that they're at they were at alabama um texas a&m last weekend and that talk about a college station in general but talk about a game that you know a a must watch type game and and they were at that they got to preview that down there in college station so uh yeah hope you guys enjoy this episode and uh we'll see you guys next week